If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I had a thought the other night that woke me in a state of panic and shock. And that thought was, do you remember those carpets that people used to put on their toilets? Uh, do you mean the ones that were almost expressly mauve? <laughs> yeah, they were dusty all like rose. dusty colors, like a dusty olive, a dusty mauve. Did you have those in your house? Yeah. For sure. Up up until probably like 84, 85. I'm lying. Okay. There may actually still be one in my childhood bathroom. Okay. Like, how did we all not die of the plague with people having carpets on and around their toilets? Like, how did how did the generation between the 60s and the 80s survive? You know, I've actually never thought about that, but that is true. I guess uh, Petri dish would be a staggering understatement yeah. for what those, those moist rugs on top of the toilets were. This week, we are joined by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Kara Klenk, and Lindy West to tackle the following questions. Why is the GOP still taking marching orders from a guy too crazy for Facebook? What's the latest in the fight to reform how the military handles sexual assault? How many ways are there to be a mother? And what happens when you're a teenager on a road trip and your car breaks down at night? All this and more right now. Okay, Alyssa, are you ready to get to the news today? Aaron, let's talk about the motherfucking news. Okay, let's talk about the motherfucking news. So Donald Trump is facing every geriatric racist's worst nightmare he is still not being allowed to post on Facebook. On Wednesday, Facebook's oversight board, which I find to be very, uh, like, scary sounding. I picture them in a lair, you know? Like the meanest Zoom alive. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, when they meet in person, it's at, like, one of those Austin Powers supervillain tables with, like, chairs <laughs> with pointy backs. Um, but that's Facebook's oversight board in my imagination. In real life, they um, upheld the January ban uh, that they imposed on America's most famous loser, uh, promising to revisit the issue again in six months, which is a little annoying because I kind of want to be done with this. Totally. I'm just, just keep him off Facebook, you know? Like, he keeps promising to launch his own social media site. Make him actually do some fucking work. That's Make him do it. You know what I want him to know? Hmm. Nobody misses him. No. No one misses you. No. And here's the thing. Like, I find that the experience of going on social media is, I would say, equally irritating now as it was in, you know, before he got- It's different. It's, yeah. Different, not less. It's, 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 it's irritating, but not terrifying, you know? And it was yes. terrifying sometimes when he was tweeting willy-nilly. Um, but despite the fact that he's not on Facebook, he's no longer, he can't be on Instagram anymore. So no, you know, 
selfies of him in front of a super bloom. Um, he continues to figure out ways to express things that are wrong. Like, um, he finds it enjoyable to hang out with Ted Cruz, which we know is incorrect. Not totally incorrect. That picture of the two of them was like, enjoy each other. (laughs) Yeah. Why are all the pictures backlit? Like for a person, for a person that's so vain and image conscious, why are there so many pictures where the light is coming from below him or behind him? Like, well, let's talk about this though. I'm sure there were other versions of the picture and this one of him was like, okay, but Ted Cruz looked like a cadaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that had been in the Hudson. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't put it past Donald Trump to be one of those bitches who posts pictures where his friends look ugly on purpose. It's literally an episode of Veep. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. I mean, it also seems like an episode in the head of a narcissist who like <laughs> thinks it's funny to make other people's lives worse. And Ted Cruz will always come crawling back to Donald Trump no matter what happens. Um, another thing that Donald Trump has an opinion of uh, is who should have power in the Republican caucus of the House of Representatives, which brings us to our first actual story that we're going to get into. And I'm calling it, you're going to like this, Alyssa. I'm ready. Anarchy in the GOP. <laughs> I know. I mean, we had all these Dems and Disarray headlines for so long. I think it's time that they get their round of Anarchy in the GOP headlines. I love it. I love it. Let's make it happen like Fetch. Yeah. Well, Fetch didn't quite happen. Gretchen kept- Right. But it kind of did because we're still talking about it. That's true. Gretchen Wieners did make Fetch happen. We're going to make Anarchy in the GOP happen. So- Alyssa, um, can you kind of give our listeners a quick rundown of what's been going on with Liz Cheney, Kevin McCarthy, and our BFF, Elise Stefanik? Okay, so Aaron, tell me if I get it right. Liz Cheney refuses to deny the results of a free and fair election. Therefore, she is an enemy of the GOP state. And not only has she refused at first to not say that it wasn't free or fair, She persists, as our friend EW would say. And so Kevin McCarthy is like, girl, you problem. Stop it. And she won't stop being a problem. And now he was caught on hot mic saying, I have just had it with her. She is. He literally talks about her like an insubordinate two year old. I have had enough of her. And so all of the uh, GOP males. Donald Trump, too. He's like, ditch that warmongering bitch. All the GOP males are like, you guys, the answer is so simple. One for one, one woman out, one woman in. And so they have set their sights on Trump loyalist Elise Stefanik from upstate New York. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I think the Republicans in Congress, we already know that ideologically they're really far removed from the American people in general. But I also think that that shows in who they think should be more visible. Like Kevin McCarthy is just a weenie. He is just a weenie. There's nothing. A weenie is a good description. He's like a racist weenie. Yeah, he's just like, and I think being a racist is a weenie character trait. It's it's weenie. He's a weenie. And, you know, and then we have Elise Stefanik, who is extremely unappealing. Like she's not particularly smart. She's not particularly interesting. Like it's like she's both irritating and boring at the same time. No, but you know what though? Here's the thing. So I know a little bit about Elise Stefanik because she is from 
near my house. And the truth is she is smart and she does have like good traits. She has let her body eat those in in service of Donald Trump. So she's and Gretchen Carlsoning, basically. Gretchen yes, Carlson, yes, Stanford yes, yes, grad yes, yes, yes. who played stupid on Fox News, but actually was smart the whole time. Correct. Because she is actually smart. Man. And you know what? Then that makes her bad. Like if you are actually smart, you're pretending to be dumb in the service of your own self-promotion that also harms the rest of the country that you live in, then I think that's called being evil. As my mom would say, it's disappointing. <laughs> Indeed. We should listen to Mrs. Master Monaco about... She okay. just goes by lid. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, so... Real quick before we move on to the next story, Alyssa, do you think mm. the Republican Party of 2021 can be unfucked? No, no, because they don't even want it. They don't. They're not trying for it. They are sinking deeper and deeper into the quicksand, mm -hmm. you know, and I think at this point their calculations are totally off because the only person they're like two people not in the quicksand. It's fucking Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney. Mm -hmm. They may all drown themselves in quicksand and those two may inherit the party, which I feel like most of the Republican Party would actually be OK with. Yeah. And, you know, uh, when we had Essie Cup on the show a few months mm -hmm. back, actually, we recorded on the day of the Capitol insurrection. We came out of recording and it was so happening. fucked up. It was so yeah. fucked up. But Essie has talked about how she thinks that there's like a space for a moderate party. I definitely wouldn't be voting for them, but I don't think that she's entirely wrong. And like the, there's only like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney kind of toward the center of the, you know, of, of center right, you know? Right. And maybe Lisa Murkowski. Maybe Lisa Murkowski. Yeah. But it's, it's just like, you know, there is, here's the thing that, that, that really upsets me about this whole thing. Liz fucking Cheney, who is one of America's worst people is going to come out of this smelling like a rose. <laughs> She's going, like, if Liz... She's not even a rose, man. This is like some spring peony level shit. I mean, she is, like, because honestly, when I start watching the news, I'm like, oh, Liz Cheney, why don't they leave her alone? <laughs> right. And then it's like, wait a minute. No, we want Liz Cheney to have to suffer consequences of her bad politics and her bad ideas, but not like this, you know, not like this. No, this is, this is wrong. This Do you is, know what I mean? Like she, we disagree with her, but this is wrong. This is the right. Yeah. It's like a monkey paw wish where it's like, I want Liz Cheney to face some consequences. No, not this way. Come on. <laughs> totally. A different way. And you know, I'm, I'm saying this right now. If Liz Cheney ever mounts a um, a run for higher office, like a governor of Wyoming, uh, president, and she is somebody who actually stands a chance of winning those things, we will have this little shitstorm to thank for it. So like, fuck you in advance, Kevin McCarthy. If Liz Cheney ever becomes a viable Republican candidate for president... Uh, f fuck you in advance. That's all I have to say. Though, I mean, I take her over Nikki Haley. Oh, no. I, if, I, if in the Republican Party there can only be one woman. Ugh. I take Liz Cheney over Nikki Haley because Nikki Haley has no character. And we may not like Lynn Cheney's character, but it's a Liz, character. Liz Cheney. She's at least it's a character and she has stuck by it for her whole adult life. Uh, I guess maybe Liz Cheney rising in the ranks in national politics will draw attention to the fact that Wyoming is ridiculous and shouldn't exist as a state. 
Um, but DC should. And DC should. But what we should be doing instead of everybody moving to Colorado, which is what they're doing from the West Coast, is we should just kind of nudge a few of them into Wyoming. There's some beautiful parts of Wyoming. People in Western Wyoming really speak highly of it. Purple that state up. Really fuck up the Senate. We can dream big dreams. Dream big. I would move to Western Wyoming if a hundred people would go with me (laughs) and somebody would open up a shop that can make like a good cup of coffee. That's all I really want is just a hundred people who are nice and coffee. You know what? I feel like that should be very attainable. I think so. This is, this is my MLM scheme, Alyssa. I'm just trying to get a (laughs) hundred friends to move to Wyoming (laughs) and then they get a hundred friends. And then before you know it, we flipped the Senate forever. Okay. Um, another story I wanted to talk about, uh, okay. A kind of upsetting headline this week indicated that health experts now believe that herd immunity is out of reach for Americans Mm -hmm. due to a variety of reasons. Alyssa, what was your reaction to that story when you saw it? Erin, I have a lot of feels about this one. Um, like what about it? Do people not understand? What about looking at what's happening in India right now? Do people not understand? And, you know, the funny thing is we know last week I was not feeling my best because I had gotten my second shot of Moderna. And you know what, guys? I had chills. I was shivering. My muscles hurt. I had a fever. And guess what? After 36 hours, maybe 48, it was over. And now I am fucking bionic. Like, (laughs) this is not hard. And, you know, the whole thing that we have been marching toward for 14 months at this point, herd immunity, got to get to that herd immunity. Herd immunity is up to us. That's it. You can't blame anybody else. It's up to us. And there are so many people now who are just like, "Mm, I don't really think I need my shot. And uh, you do, you do. Because the thing that no one understands, no, here's the thing. They're being willfully ignorant of. It's not that they don't understand because it's such an easy concept. They do understand it. Is that some of us are vaccinated. This is great. But for all the people who aren't vaccinated, they're going to continue to pass around the virus. And as it continues to be passed around, it will mutate. And the more it mutates, the more possibly our vaccines that we have been vaccinated with will not protect us against some of those variants. This is all in the realm of the possible. And so the funny thing is, is that we have all the tools to make it not possible, like that we would all be safe. And right now, like you said, a lot of publications and studies are saying that herd immunity will likely not happen in America or many other countries. And you know, the thing that makes me so mad is that you look at what's happening in other countries and you know that if America had led differently in the beginning, that other countries would have followed the example, Mm -hmm. right? If we shut America down for two to four weeks, shut everything down, nobody saw anybody, you know, back last April or last May, things could have been really different. And instead we had a president who was like, COVID's fake, (laughs) Mm-hmm. And other countries were like, if America isn't on board, then why the fuck are we going to be on board? Mm-hmm. And so now this is just a giant rope-a-dope of a pandemic. Yeah, I think it's gotten to a point where people are kind of tired of feeling like they're the ones doing all the work to protect everybody else. And we've also, yeah. I think the last year, there was an article in The Atlantic this week that got a lot of people talking about people who are like the liberals who can't quit the pandemic And some of the points, the article was 
hit or miss. <laughs> some of the points that were made were were valid, and some of the points were like, what? Um, but one thing I think that articles about that fall on either side, where it's like, we've been too cautious versus, you know, like, oh, people are afraid of taking their masks off. I'm not taking my mask off. Is like the last year has left us really has left our trust in each other very wounded. Like, yeah, we the thing that I keep hearing from people who don't want to wear their masks or do want to wear their masks, even though the CDC says it's not necessary, even though we have all this research that says it's very difficult to pass outside. The people who still are like, I'm still I'm still distancing. I'm still doing all the things, even though I'm vaccinated, even though the science says that I don't have to do it anymore is because we don't trust each other. We don't trust that people are doing anything whatsoever to take care of other people. You see somebody with a mask off, you don't know if they're, they've been vaccinated or not. And right. you also don't know if like, you know, did my vaccine take? I don't know. I'm in like the early groups or people that get breakthrough infections. Like it, it's just like, I, I just think that like there have been all these people who have just lived their life completely normally, like having huge weddings and partying and all this shit. Yeah. And, you know, and, and like you said, the, the virus mutates, the more it gets passed around, it's like a game of telephone. It's like a fucked up game of telephone that can kill you. The more people who are involved, the more chances by the other end, it comes out totally different. Um, but I think that, you know, we just don't, we don't trust each other and we just don't, there's such a disparity between precautions that cautious people are taking and complete lack of precautions that uncautious people are taking. Well, and you know what the other thing is too, Aaron. <laughs> like until I I convalesced on the sofa last week with the vaccine, I hadn't really thought about the fact I haven't been sick in in a year, mm -hmm. right? And that's because we took these precautions. So for me, I'm like, well, I think I'm no matter what, I'm always going to keep a mask in my bag, you know? Because it was like feeling that sick. I was like, oh my God, you know, living in New York City, taking the subway all the time for all these years. I mean, I get probably four or five bad colds a year mm -hmm. and I haven't had one. And so, you know, that's another thing I think people have realized too, that the masks not only kept you from getting COVID, they kept you from getting a lot of other shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm like, I'm not somebody who tends to get sick. When I was a little kid, I was filthy. Um, and also I think I just, for whatever reason, I just never, never get sick. Um, but the pandemic kind of made me realize that it is possible for someone like me to be a vector. And I was kind of looking back right. on the times that like, you know, Josh has gotten sick and it's like, oh, did I just like bring it home, not get sick and then give it to somebody else? So yeah, I think like some some behaviors are just socially good and they're not like that. And it's not inconvenient for me to wear a mask in the grocery store. Who fucking cares? You know, it's like Who cares? I'm not exerting myself. It's not hot. It's fine. You know, right. But but um, but yeah, I think that, you know, if we're going to meet President Biden's goal of having 70 percent of adults with at least one round of vaccination by the 4th of July, we're going to have to kind of start getting creative. Like we talked on the show about um parents telling their parents that there's no visiting with the grandkids unless the grandparents get vaccinated. Right. Love, love that. Love a grandkid hostage situation. I think it's great. Um, I also think that making rest, I, I mean, as, as, as much as I don't like restrictions that last forever, I think putting in five-year restrictions where it's like, you have to prove that you're vaccinated if you want to fly. I think that makes sense. I think that's totally fine. And you know what? Like, I don't know, maybe it should be part of put, like submitting your taxes. Who cares? Like, this is whatever we can do 
I'm sorry to make it difficult, but like at the same time, guess what? When I was growing up, I had terrible, I still do, terrible reactions to vaccines. So I didn't get my second measles shot before college. Girl, they hunted my ass down in my (laughs) dorm room and they were like, you will come and you will get your measles shot or you're not going to class. Yeah. Totally reasonable. Got my vaccine. Didn't die. Got a fever. Slept all day. Didn't die. Well, congratulations on not dying once again, being alive is a miracle. 30 years ago. Well, I hope that uh, some of this hesitancy goes away because before the vaccine was rolled out, in in a large scale, a lot of people, like a distressing amount of people were saying they weren't going to get it. And that kind of lessened. So I'm hoping that we can chip away at the holdouts. Um, but fingers crossed, we'll be keeping an eye on this. Uh, let's move on real quick. I think this week is Teacher Appreciation Week. <gasps> yes, it is. And we love teachers on this show. Um, a lot of us, some of my, some of our best friends are teachers. Some of our favorite people are teachers. Some of our favorite listeners are teachers. Some of uh, the most influential people in our respective lives have been teachers. So we're going to do a special teachers only toasts. We're not roasting teachers. No, we're not roasting. (laughs) Um, So Alyssa, do you have a teacher you would like to toast? I do. I would like to toast Remley Forrest Mann. She was my French teacher for all of 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th grade, I think she left. And she just made me so curious. And she made sure that we all learned. We all had to pick French names. Je m'appelle Claudine. Um, and you know, I went on when I left, when I left high school, I actually was a French major, uh, for two years in college. And there was something she did not stop. We watched French movies, we read French books, and, uh, she never let us kind of just be our own age. Like she held us to higher standards and everyone who walked out of her class fucking spoke French. And, uh, you know, she encouraged parents to like, talk to us at home. And so when I was, my dad and mom both spoke a bit of French. And so we would go around the table and my dad would be like, qu'est-ce que c'est? And I'm like, c'est une pamplemousse, which is a grapefruit. <laughs> oh, and I know that. I drink LaCroix. That's my favorite flavor. <laughs> that is the pamplemousse. And my sister was coming down and she thought I was talking to her and she was very little. She goes, I'm not a plump little moose. <laughs> and she has been moosey ever since, even on her like college applications. She was Aww. moosey master Monaco. But so, and it all was because of uh, Madame Forrest. And it just, it's something about like learning a new language. You need confidence. Otherwise you're never going to speak it well. And she just gave us so much confidence. And so anyway, she was fucking dope. That is Amazing. Um, what about so you? I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here. So I've talked about how I've got <laughs> got family members that are teachers. My mom was a teacher. She's now a school administrator. My sister is currently a teacher. She teaches ESL. So I want to single out two teachers in my family who I really think are doing cool shit. My sister, Mary, teaches ESL in St. Paul. Most of the kids she teaches um, are here in the States because they're like members of groups that are refugee groups. So, um, she has a lot of students that are members of the Karen group, K-A-R-E-N. They're like a Southeast Asian group of people who are oftentimes kind of put out by respective countries. She has a lot of students that are Karen and she has become so like, she's so passionate about her kids. Like she cares so much about them. Last year there were, um, there was one family that, um, was almost evicted from their house and she like, got really pissed off and raised all this money and got, I remember this. Yeah. And she got the attorney general's office of Minnesota involved. And like, she was, she was really like going to the mat for them and she saved them from being evicted. And, you know, she's definitely not like that 
act is a very special act, but I think that there are teachers all over the place who are doing stuff like that for their kids every day. And it's just so fucking cool. I also want to single out my uncle, Jeff, my uncle, Jeff Ryan, who's a history teacher in, in Prescott, Wisconsin. He is also a baseball coach there. He's a very good baseball coach and he's an even, I, I haven't had him in class, so I can't testify to this, but I've heard from former students of his, I've heard that he's just a phenomenal history teacher. He wins awards for teaching history. He's super involved uh, with First Nations people in the state of Wisconsin. He takes students to reservations, and he's been really active in um, getting his students involved in helping um, change mascot names that, you know, that are offensive to Native Americans. And he's just like really cool. He does. He's one of those people that doesn't need to do everything that he does. But the fact that he does all of it is like kind of an above and beyond thing for him. And um, yeah, he just he rules. Um, So I just want to shout out my sister and my uncle for both being great teachers and for everybody who goes above and beyond in the classroom all the time. All right. Those are our teacher toasts. Um, we know we didn't cover every single possible type of teacher, but you know we love you guys. We appreciate the work you do. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have an interview with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Hysteria is brought to you by ZocDoc. Do you love to treat yourself? Maybe I you do. buy fancy coffee. I know everybody does, yeah, right? Yeah, come on. It's called a dopamine infusion. We do what we can it. when we can. Exactly. Sometimes you just need a little special little treat to boost you to get through the day. If you treat yourself to the top options other places, why settle when finding a doctor? It's your health after all. Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. Erin, let me tell you, I'm so lucky ZocDoc heard that my dermatologist was not taking my insurance anymore. I found a new dermatologist in a half hour on ZocDoc. Takes my insurance not far away. Got an appointment right away. That's something that would take like a good half day of sweaty phone work. Yeah. In a pre-ZocDoc era. You're just prostrating yourself to the poor receptionists that answer the call. And you're like, no. You're calling. You're on hold. You're giving them information. They're asking you. They're they're framing their questions in ways that you don't quite understand because that's not how it's written on your insurance card. Totally. My group number? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, bin number? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash hysteria and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash hysteria. ZocDoc.com slash hysteria. And welcome back. We are so excited to be joined today by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. You've heard from her on this show before, but today she's here to talk about some good news. For years, she's been working on legislation to change the way the military prosecutes sexual assault cases. And earlier this week, there was a big breakthrough in that fight. Senator Gillibrand, thank you for stopping by. 
My pleasure. So first off, can you explain to our listeners what changes you and other advocates were fighting for, what stood in the way, and the significance of what happened this week? So uh, since 2012, really, I got involved in dealing with the fact that there's a huge scourge of sexual assault in the military. And the way those cases are dealt with today is when someone is raped, it is reported, there's an investigation. And then after the investigation, the investigation file goes to the commander. And the commander with his JAG decides whether or not to prosecute. And unfortunately, uh, the commander often doesn't prosecute. Uh, Very few cases go to trial and very few cases end in conviction. And so as a result, survivors don't believe that justice is possible. They, They think that the command is biased and unfortunately untrained because they're not criminal prosecutors and don't have experience in that at all. And so what we're trying to do is create transparency and accountability. We're trying to create a military justice system that's worthy of the sacrifices our men and women are making. And the way to do that is what our allies have already done, which is to take these crimes and once the investigation is completed, give it to trained military prosecutors to look at the file, decide if there's enough evidence and move forward if there is. Under that scenario, I believe more cases will go to trial and the right cases will go to trial. And so we will end more of these cases in conviction of rapists. Uh, Once you start sending rapists to jail, it will change the culture and it will change the climate and people will know that these are crimes you cannot get away with. Today, the message that's sent is that you can get away with it, that all you'll get is a slap on the wrist if you even get caught. And that if it's a he said, she said, commanders will more likely believe the he than the she in these cases. Now, just for clarity, more than half of the survivors are men. So these crimes are not crimes that are sex related. They're crimes of domination. Uh, They're about power. And unfortunately, there's sexual assault against men and women in the military. Unfortunately, very few men report these crimes. And so most of our survivors that come forward are women but it is something that is shared and it is not gender specific. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about what happened this week? Like someone really important came out, changed their mind. Can you, Mm -hmm. yeah. There's three really important people that came out and changed their minds. So first, um, our president, commander in chief impaneled a a, um, study being done by Secretary Austin, the Secretary of Defense. And that panel leaked some of their results and they are recommending that we take it out of the chain of command. General Milley, the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, came out this week and said he's changed his mind. He recommends we take it out of the chain of command. Admiral Mullen, who previously was against this, is now chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has also come out to say. And significantly in the Senate, I'm getting more senators who are supporting. And one is Joni Ernst, who is a Republican command, former commander and former combat vet, the only female combat veteran on the Republican side in the Senate. And with her now supporting this bill, many Republicans have now changed their mind and some more moderate Democrats have also changed their mind. So we are well in excess of 60 supporters uh, as of today. And we already have 54 or 55 co-sponsors on the bill, which is clearly a record. And so we are making huge progress and we should be able to move this legislation and pass it into law this year. Kirsten, when you first heard that this progress, that, that all of this was happening, that that very important people were changing their minds in, in large part because of the work you've been doing, um, did anyone in particular come to mind? Yes. Um, so 
all of this activity has been driven by the stories of our service members and survivors. And uh, one of our survivors that testified in our last press conference with Senator Ernst, her name's Amy, and she did everything right. She, there was nothing that she could have done differently, but justice was impossible for her. Uh, her commander would not prosecute the case when she decided she wanted it to move forward. Um, justice was not possible. She was retaliated against. Her husband was retaliated against. She's a service member now. His future has been compromised and his promotion was delayed. And she's just lived every part of this system so brutally. And she is just a perfect example. And she's not alone. I mean, this has happened to thousands of men and women. And every story I hear is more upsetting than the next. This also is something that matters for the family of Vanessa Guillen, who um, what happened to her most recently at Fort Hood is devastating. Not only was she harassed and the command did nothing about harassment and, in fact, had a permissive climate for harassment and assault, but she was murdered. And I have met with her family and the, the loss of such an extraordinary woman who was very much the future of our military is such a loss for not just the country um, and not just her family, but for our national security. And it's just the truth of it. And we've lost too many men and women this way. And um, this is something that I think is welcome news for her family who have been fighting for her legacy and her memory and her honor for mm -hmm. a while. So it sounds like at this point, you're past the tipping point with like more than 60 senators signing on. Like, and you said that by the end of the year, this will probably get passed. What happens next? And what can our listeners do to get involved? So uh, what happens next is we will um, begin to write the yearly Armed Services Defense Authorization Bill. It's called the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA. And we want this legislation to be in the base bill. And so just speaking out, um, asking the few last Democrats who aren't on the bill to co-sponsor, asking the few last Republicans um, who are undecided to get on the bill. We want to have 60 co-sponsors. We're at 55. I think we can get to 60 co-sponsors. We have in excess of 60 supporters. But I want their names written on the bill so that we can show the military, particularly, that this is something they should not try to unwind or fight. Um, this is something they should not only um, accept, but they should work with us on making sure we implement it the most effectively. And I think when the panel that um, General Austin has been overseeing comes out, or Secretary Austin, um, that, that it will be clear that those recommendations are very complementary to our bill and will fit in perfectly in the work we've already done. Well, Senator Gillibrand, thank you so much for taking the time and thank you so much for all your work on this and congratulations on seeing it really getting close to paying off. We're very close and we just can't stop advocating now because again, this is something the Department of Defense have, has fought every step of the way. There are many people who still do not want this implemented, but for our survivors, for our service members, for all those who have sacrificed so much, 
they just deserve a better criminal justice system. They deserve one that's unbiased, one that's professional, and one that's reliable, where they can trust it. There's no trust right now amongst the ranks uh, on the criminal justice system. They don't believe commanders have their back. And frankly, commanders shouldn't have to do this. They have to win wars. They have to train our troops. They have real responsibilities. They shouldn't have to be experts Mm -hmm. in the law. And it's absurd to Mm -hmm. ask them to be. They need to focus on their core mission. And they can now focus more on good order and discipline. And they can focus more on command climate. And they can focus more on um, training our troops to be the best mm-hmm. in the world. Well, um, I'm I'm really grateful for all the work that you've done, and I'm sure our servicemen and women feel the same way. Um, and listeners, if you're hearing this and your senator is not one of the people whose names is on this bill, you should maybe give him a call and let him know that you would like for your senator's name to be on the bill. And if you're an active duty service member or a veteran and you think this is smart, please say so. Um, To have Admiral Mullen as well as General Milley come out and say, you know, they've been against it for a decade, but now they're for it. That's real leadership. And if you have opinions that you want to be heard, please be heard because there's been a gag order that no one could outwardly support this bill for the last eight years if they were active duty. That gag order is officially lifted because Mm -hmm. our chairman, Millie, has just said so. Wow. Well, that's great news. So everybody start mouthing off. I think that's that's Senator Gillibrand. Yes, and talking about your own story and what needs Mm -hmm. to be done. Thank you so much for joining us today, Senator. Thank you, Erin. And thank you, Alyssa. It's so good to see you both. And I appreciate you very much. Oh, come back anytime. Absolutely. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. And welcome back to Hysteria. Alyssa is still here with me. And today we're joined by two incredible ladies, both of whom there's a pretty good chance you already know. First, Kara Clank is a comedian, writer, actor, and one of our favorite returning guest panelists. Welcome to the three-peat club, Kara. Oh my you God. And Senator, yeah, you and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand are both joining the three-peat club on the same episode. How exciting. How does that make Do you I feel? Do I get a robe or something like on SNL or what? <laughs> uh, I think you get a green jacket. Ooh, <laughs> we will make it in. We will make it adjustable so that, like, post birth, you can yes. you can adjust it down. No jackets fit me right now, so don't don't try for it. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll do a fitting in like a month for your three peter jacket. Really excited that you're here today. Um, up next, she is a writer, comedian, and activist. She is also the author of the mega hit book Shrill and an executive producer of the TV show based on the book, which stars A.D. Bryant. And she has some of the most talented, and in my humble opinion, uh, some of the most interesting and exciting writers in the biz working on that show. It's Lindy West. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. It's, uh, it's how are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. 
Um, I'm fine. It's fine. I don't know. It's spring. It's like beautiful here finally. And you can go outside and, but you know, it's, still covid i don't know i'm fine everything's weird <laughs> i feel like does you anyone just... have a good answer <laughs> no that's true i think i don't know i'm fine is like pretty much how everybody's feeling i don't know good bad what is good what is bad yeah i'm um, vaccinated that's hey cool. congrats that's awesome i still um, have my my big hot red arm from my injection <laughs> nice i um i felt like somebody had punched me really really hard like yeah. Yeah, it, it really hurt. Um, so, Lindy, I had a memory last night. I was rewatching season one of Shrill. And I remember, like, maybe not the last time I you, saw you, but like the time before that, I was in New York and I was on the train. And this was like after you, like, you didn't live in, you've never lived in New York. You were, I no. was like, what is Lindy doing on the train? And it was like you and your husband and maybe your sister-in-law and I was like, hey, how's it going? And you were like, I just turned in my manuscript to my publisher. <laughs> and that manuscript was shrill. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember I told it's so funny that you said that because I just just remembered running into you on the train as I was like sitting down to do this. I was like, oh, was that the last time I saw Aaron? Um, and also a thing I just realized is that Shrill the book came out five years ago this week. <gasps> Oh my mm. gosh, congratulations. I, I, I remembered when I was having that memory, I was like, and I had just gotten done seeing the gynecologist. So <laughs> it, <laughs> it was quite a, uh, a confluence. Um, so <laughs> before we get to the topic that we're going to talk about today, I want to hear a little bit about what's coming in Shrill. Like, can you give our listeners a preview of what they can look forward to in season three? Yeah. Um, so season three is sort of like her big, like, stepping out season. Um, at the end of season two, she dumps her loser boyfriend and is like, I'm going to go live my big, beautiful life. My big, beautiful, curvy life. Um, <laughs> that's not how we talk um, on the show, specifically. Um, I love my curvy life. <laughs> I love my curvy life, yeah. But so then season three is basically... Uh, you know that time when you're in your 20s and maybe you're like, okay, I got, I figured this out. <laughs> like, I know what I want. I'm going to go get it. And then you're just like still a failure. She's, <laughs> it's just sort of like she is really trying to become an adult and she really feels like she's like self-actualized and then she, but she's not. And she's still kind of floundering. And, you know, it's, it's a, the season I would say is about maybe expectations expectations versus reality and you know I think it was really important to us to convey the the fact that you know deciding like oh maybe I don't hate myself is not some kind of destination it's like a practice and it's uh you're not ever actually there and it's kind of dangerous to assume that you are there and she you know it's about Annie kind of trying to settle into her adult life and not being very good at it and going on some bad dates and mm-hmm. being bad at her job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we definitely need more media about how your the promise of your 20s is mostly a scam. Like your 20s are for falling on your face and you have to do it. Yeah. You have to do yeah. it. But it sucks. It's not fun. It's like yeah. they're it's not the the best years of your life. It is shitty. But that's really okay. Bad. That's a, that's a, that's really bad, but it's supposed yeah. to happen. Like if you're falling yeah. on your face, you're like, 
you're you're not doing everything wrong because doing wrong things is sort of a right thing. In yeah, a way. totally. Yeah, I would say this season is very humbling for her, and she also learns a lot, you know, which mm-hmm. is certainly what my twenties felt like. Well, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm Good, excited for more workplace stuff. I love the workplace in Shrill. That's my favorite <laughs> Just, stuff for it's sure. It's so great. All the people, Joe and Patty and everybody are so funny. I mean... Why do we bother writing anything else? We should just. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I would watch the shrill spinoff that's just the workplace comedy. Like, <laughs> I literally think about it all the time. What, what can we do a Joe and Patty spinoff, please? Um, not that I don't love the rest of my no, work of course, and everyone else. But, oh my god, there's a lot of lot of Joe and Patty because because of COVID, it's like we couldn't. It was like if you had cast members come to Portland, it was like we got to use them. So there is a lot. There's a lot of um, Joe and Patty um, long form improvisation. It's very, very great. Oh, I love that. that. You know what? I wish that I wish that shows like Shrill like released a director's cut or like commentary. So like you could stream it the regular way, but then you could stream it with like members of the cast or like creators (laughs) or writers, like talking over it and being like, yeah, we didn't write any of this scene. This is just them going off. (laughs) In season one, like the first day Patty was on set and we were shooting and she just did every take. She improvised every take differently and everything was so funny I was like what are we gonna do what do we do like I was like we have to release all of it it all has to go on the internet somewhere like I don't um but then you can't I guess that's not how tv works you don't you don't just send everyone all the dailies Um, (laughs) people would people would honestly watch those because when those do get like leaked or somebody you know puts them on youtube or whatever people like obsess about them so I feel like it sounds creepy but I probably went and just rewatched Patty's dailies more than I like watched the episodes while we were editing. <laughs> That's not true, but it's like almost true. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. Funny. It's like your own personal TikTok with just Patty. Um, <laughs> all right. So one of the reasons I'm super excited about having this group together is because we all have different perspectives on motherhood and Mother's Day. And I think that a lot of times conversations about motherhood and Mother's Day is very like, bouquet centric (laughs) and like bouquets and cards and stuff like that. And I think that the holiday itself is a lot more complicated than, you know, the kind of Zales commercials about the holiday. (laughs) So, um, Kara, I'm going to start with you. Um, so how are you planning on spending mother's day this Sunday? Well, I wanted to spend it alone, but um, <laughs> and you have it. Wait, you're married and have a. Have I am a, married and I have a child, and I have another child. Um, uh, three weeks away from being born, so I, um, you know, so so okay. So my first Mother's Day was so funny because I think of Mother's Day just as like old moms, like mo- my mom. So people mm-hmm. started texting me on my first Mother's Day. I had had a baby like six weeks before, and I was like. Why are you texting me about Mother's Day? Like, I I just like never really put myself in the category for the holiday. I thought it was for old, old moms, my mom, you know, (laughs) and then last year was like a COVID uh, Mother's Day. So I was with my pod, like who's another mom and and her two kids. And I think this year, um, now that we're vaccinated, we're going to the pod is going to also do a little Mother's Day brunch just with our kids in the morning. And then the afternoon I have off and 
I might try to get a massage because I can't really walk very well right now, but um, I also think I'm trying to book a massage the Tuesday before Mother's Day like an idiot, So or it's Wednesday, so like I probably won't get an appointment, but we're going to do something. Me and my vaccinated mom friend are going to do something away from our children in the afternoon. <laughs> and um, I think that's the best of both worlds. <laughs> right, right. It's like being a mom, celebrating being a mom by imagining that for that, that day I, you are that not. That's not who I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, how about you? How are you spending Mother's Day this this year? How am I spending Mother's Day? Uh, well, uh, 45 and without biological children myself, I will be celebrating others. Uh, my niece is born next week. And she's lucky she gets two birthdays, one on either side of her birthday. Um, And my mom, it's like, you know, mom has been in quarantine for the last year and a half. And, you know, her parents are getting older. So everyone's getting together and we're taking her out for Mexican on Mother's Day. And that is uh, that's my weekend. You guys, I'm baking things for other people and uh, having Mexican food. Ooh, that's I'm jealous of that. Lindy, how about you? How are you spending Mother's Day? It's I I just sent a text like. 20 minutes ago to my, to the family group chat. And I was like, Oh, are we, is, is something happening? Are we doing something? <laughs> um, Cause it, it is weird. It's like, I, so I'm a stepmom. I have two teenage stepdaughters who are 17 and 19, but they have a mom. So <laughs> I would never expect them to like come here and like pamper me. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been their stepmom since they were seven and nine. So they were little, but like, you know, now they're just like adult women, basically, that I know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm their parent, but and I love them as my children. But like, I don't know. I just it's like clearly that's their mom's day. And then I have my own mom and then my husband has a mom and then my sister-in-law is a mom. I just feel like there's moms everywhere. And so probably what we will do is all go to someone's yard and eat. <laughs> But what I I what I would really like to do is have everyone leave me alone. Absolutely. Um, and I have a dog. I'm like a dog mom now. And he would never give me any gift. Um, he, he only takes. Notoriously cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think probably we'll go. My sister-in-law just uh, remodeled her house and has a big, beautiful yard. So we will probably do a sort of housewarming yard party. Mm-hmm. I don't know impromptu <laughs> that sounds that sounds really lovely but at the yard party you can be like nobody talk to me nobody even acknowledge oh, me <laughs> that's such a good idea actually and absolutely will not be followed I think that <laughs> your attitude is probably the reason why your stepdaughters like you because I feel like I have friends with like insane stepmoms that would be like what about me what about my day like you know like, <laughs> can you imagine yeah. can you imagine I like their mother, like, you know, grew them in her body. Um, I don't know. Like, also, what is this? Like, how about just it is okay for women to be left alone on any other Sunday? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really feel attached. I would love if someone like gave me candy. Okay, you know, I bet, I bet they'll give me candy. I, usually they like give me a cute little card and a, candy bar and then they go away that's cute (laughs) I told my husband no flowers too I was like I just bought some at Trader Joe's just leave it I don't care like (laughs) I don't need to watch a beautiful bouquet die over the week and then be like what's that smell and then throw it away I'm good yeah it's 
it's not like someone else throws it away, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That was part of the bouquet gift that someone else dealt with the rotten. Yeah, I'll be flowers. the one chopping the bottoms <laughs> off, giving putting the plant food in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh I think this is the thing that that is a challenge for me. So I don't have any kids married. Um, I have a dog again. He doesn't know what day it is ever or care. Um, but, uh, like when I texted my mom to be like, what do you want for mother's day? She'll, she'll respond with something, some like maternal crap. That's like the three best kids in the world, but I already have that. And it's like, that doesn't help. I want to buy you something. Are you kidding? When I was growing up, my Oma, who is no longer with us, she's like such my North Star because for Mother's Day, we'd be like, Omi, what do you want? Holly Tone for the Evergreens, bags of Holly Tone. I was like, you got it. We'll carry the Holly Tone for you. Wait, is that like, is that like fertilizer? Holly Tone is fertilizer for certain ornamental plants and evergreens. And I know because I bought some yesterday and I was like, fucking Omi, you're right here with me, girl. I hope you know. I love that. Um, So, you know, it sounds like we all have like decent maternal relationships in our lives. Do you think that like sometimes the culture around Mother's Day sort of promotes a toxic positivity around moms for people who maybe didn't have a great relationship with their moms? Like, have you, like, Alyssa, have you ever known somebody who Mother's Day is difficult for because it's complicated for them? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, uh, my husband's mom died when he was, he was younger, you know, much younger. And that's always like, uh, you know, you just, I think that before you impose your feelings about Mother's Day on anybody, it's just kind of like, how do you feel about it? Like, do you, do you want to come down and see my mom? Is it weird for you? You know, just, does it make you uncomfortable? Do you, you know, want to burn a candle? Like what, you know, what's, what's good for you? And I think it's, it's, we don't do that enough, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Lindy, what has your experience been with like more complicated maternal relationships around Mother's Day? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think any kind of um, enforced merrymaking around any holiday is kind of inappropriate and aggressive. And also I do not relate to it. Um, you know, I, 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 I feel like my, um, I, I have several friends whose mothers have passed away and, um, you know, in recent years as we get older, um, and I feel like my friend group is really, like tender and kind and always making sure to reach out to those people. Like everyone reaches out to me on father's day. My dad died 10 years ago. Like, I feel like there's a way to, um, to, you know, honor the mothers that mean something to you in your life and also give, give space for sadness to people with more complicated, um, maternal relationships. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard for me to feel like, um, so, never mind. This sentence is taking a dark turn. I was about to say it's really hard for me not to feel like everything is meaningless. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't. Does anyone know like what Mother's Day is or where it came from? Like, I feel like it's just this thing that we're supposed to do. And again, I enjoy the candy once a year, but um, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's it's easy to kind of as long as you like, you don't need to like buy in a thousand percent to mm-hmm. every everything. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I think it's important to um, 
it, it, in order to be respectful and careful with the complexities of the world and everyone's feelings, you got to like keep some perspective and be like, this isn't really a real thing. It's real in the ways that you make it real and important in your own life. But, you know, you have to remember that everyone has different experiences and Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're being sold something in conjunction with a holiday, it's really important to be like, wait, do I want this or am I being told that I want this? Like, what do I really want to do here? I was like in my group chat with my friends from college. Between us, there are 15 children between my group of college girlfriends. Catholic school. So, (laughs) um, you know, we were talking yesterday about things like push presents and baby moons. And (laughs) I was telling, I was telling my friends, like, I seriously don't remember like growing up. I don't remember push presents being a thing. I don't remember. I remember the first time I heard the word baby moon and being horrified. So I was like, that's not a real thing. Um, It just seems like every opportunity there is to like market some aspect of motherhood back to mothers. It's like being done. Um, And Kara, I was actually thinking about you yesterday as I was putting the show together, because it seems like a lot of like the social expectation on moms is like once you have a kid, you stop being a woman and you start being a mom. You like disappear into being a mom. But like I knew you before you had kids and you pretty much seem the same except you just have a kid now. Like do you find <laughs> do you find like did you find it difficult to push aside the expectation that you would disappear into motherhood? Yeah, I mean to I think to a certain extent there are women that lean into that. And then I think that there's also the societal, you know, pressure of it. So, like, I definitely was leaning far away from that. Like, I mean, I I was like, I'm still going to perform. I'm still going to – I kept my pregnancy a secret for so long because I was like, I still want to get hired for, like, writing jobs. You know, like, I don't want anyone to think that, like, oh, she's a mom now. She's out. Like, file her under unavailable, you know? So I I don't even have a social media post about my current pregnancy. Like I recently posted a photo where I look enormous. And my friend said she was getting a lot of texts from people being like, is Kara pregnant? And she was like, if she's not, (laughs) something is really wrong. Because changing size that drastically in eight months is (laughs) not a normal. I'm having a bad COVID experience. Yeah. Right. No, but um, yeah. So I do think that some women like lean into that and like, I don't know, maybe the, I don't know, you know, identity is complicated, like, but it becomes their full identity. Like I am a mom and I, I have specifically tried to lean against that and been like, I am many other things besides a mom. And I'm glad to see that, um, it's come through and you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I did indeed notice. Um, Lindy, like you've, you've been a stepmother for now 10 years, you were saying, um, did becoming a stepmom like change the way that people treated you? Or do you think that like the, the pressure for stepmoms to disappear into being stepmoms is less than it is for biological moms? It's less. I mean, if anything, Mm -hmm. like it hurts my feelings that people act like I'm not really a mom, you know what I mean? Like I feel like people don't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, when, you know, when I look back and it's like, okay, well I've been raising these girls since, Uh, Since I was in my 20s, you know, and I'm almost 40 now, like that's a big chunk of my life. And um, it's, you know, I don't, it's different. 
Um, it doesn't have to be different, but the way that our family is organized, it's different. Like I, they're so close with their mom. I, I feel, um, I wouldn't feel comfortable like imposing my, my will on them. You know, I don't do like, you know, I don't like make decisions for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If, if I think like they, if I thought that they should like go to a different school or something, like, I don't feel like I have that authority, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is fine. I'm sort of like backseat parent but I'm still here like I'm still like driving them to their activities and giving them advice and listening to them and taking care of them and making their food I mean like I don't know what the boundaries are of mother Mm -hmm. um and I'm kind of a maternal I think I have a maternal presence generally which is maybe something that we like just apply to fat nursey ladies but um (laughs) I don't know I've embodied it but um you know I yeah, if anything, it's the opposite, where it's like people underestimate how much of a mother you are if you're a stepmother. It's like we mm-hmm. don't and, – and I feel like the the term is loaded, like the re- relationship is loaded. People think of it as a negative relationship a lot of the time because, you know, a lot of people are bad at being a step-parent. But for me, I mean, I'm so – I feel so close to my daughters. Um, there's a weird struggle even like should I feel like when I call them my stepdaughters I'm creating a distance there mm-hmm. in in the listener and I don't want to I want I want to call them my daughters without again like claiming more motherhood than I ha- than is accurate anyway mm-hmm. it's kind of complicated but um but no I but it, it's I am not victim to that thing where you are erased mm-hmm. um where your selfhood is obliterated mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's obliterated in other ways mm-hmm. um but not that one <laughs> what are some things that people do that make you feel like you said it makes you feel a little bad what are some things that people do when they talk about you and your daughters that makes you kind of say like ah, don't do that it's more just like I you know I feel like if I have to you know cancel plans because of something with the kids there, I feel this vibe of like, well, okay, but they're not really your kids. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's just not taken as seriously, um, Mm -hmm. by, and I don't have, I mean, I'm not like trying to do call out culture on my friends, (laughs) but it's like, there's, I, I just have always gotten, um, a sense that like, it's, it's not, it's just not as real, and mm-hmm. therefore can't possibly have as big a bearing on my life as if this was a child I gave birth to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't ever want, I don't ever want the girls to feel like that or to mm-hmm. feel like I, I believe that, you know, mm-hmm. and I take the responsibility really seriously. So yeah, you know, it's like, it's like if, if, if my, if someone wanted me to go on a trip with them, but like one of my kids was graduating from middle school or something. It's like, well, I can't, I got to be here for this thing. And I've, I've always felt like there's this expectation of like, well, but, but do you though? <laughs> like, right. I mean, like, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. It's my kid. That's really I interesting. I, I don't know a lot of step parents and that does sound like something that would be very grating. Cause it's like, just because you biologically don't like where it, part of their birth 
Like there are, are men have very little to do with the germination of <laughs> human babies and dads get credit, you know, for, for being caretakers and their relationship is respected. And it just is, it's unfortunate that that doesn't extend to female caretakers that didn't biologically give birth to the, to the kids. Um, so Alyssa, one of the things that we've, um, seen a lot of people hand wringing about, but then we've also seen people kind of praising, um, is, the fact that there are more women than ever who are choosing not to have children. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was reading that old Rebecca Solnit essay, The Mother of All Questions, about how she's just this, like, well-respected writer, thinker, genius. And people were still asking her at, like, literature-related forums why she didn't have kids, <laughs> which is nothing – nobody would ever ask a man that question. No. Do you think that, you know, as somebody who has, you know, chosen to have cat children instead of human children? Um, oh, don't say that. People are going to come at me on Twitter. It's not the same, <laughs> Alyssa. Like, I fucking don't know, okay? Assholes. No, if anybody does that, I will come for you on Twitter and I will not oh, be I'll nice. Say, oh, have you seen my cat, Midge? Okay, she was nearly dead. I got rid of all of her teeth. I got her a nose job. Now she's thriving. Okay, fuck off. <laughs> Um, do you, do you think like in your lifetime, have you seen it become more accepted for women to choose not to have children? Like, and do you get, do you get questioned about your decision and how do you respond when people are assholes about it? So mostly it's other women, you know, it's like, I'd love to be like, oh, dudes are like, oh, this, you didn't have their, they get it. You know, they, uh, the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me was I was on a panel at the uh, DNC and I was the youngest deputy chief of staff at the fucking White House. And this woman stands up, this young woman, and she's like, you've done so much, but you are of advanced maternal age, AMA, and (laughs) you don't have kids. And did you give that up to do this? And I was like, No, 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 that's not what happened here. You know, I think that what people misunderstand is that there also aren't just these like massive conscious decisions. Like I didn't say at age 34, I am not having kids. I am putting my career first. No, it's that actually my career was about taking care of people. And even though I never wanted to get married, but I always wanted to have kids, I got to... Uh, you know, I met the Obamas. I had this great job. And what happened is like all the kids who worked for me were like my kids. Like I just, I took care of them. I took care mm-hmm. of everyone on the fucking 1800 acres of, or 18 acres, not 1800, 18 acres of that complex. And at one point I was just like, I think I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I feel like sometimes we have reserves, right? We have reserves of how much we can give of ourselves. And I think that in some ways that was as much as I had to give of myself. And I have to tell you that I vomited out almost this exact thing to that woman at the DNC. And I was like, I could have had kids if I wanted. I just, it just wasn't right. I was, I didn't have a partner. You can do it without a partner, but people are forgetting. Like I went to, I talked to my doctor once about freezing my eggs, which is, this is 10 over 10 years ago at this point. And he was like, 
he's a genius, this guy. And he was like, I'm just going to be frank with you. Anyone trying to freeze your eggs right now is basically like telling you that freezing rotten peas are going to come back fresh when you (laughs) thaw them out. And I was like, just thank you. Thank you for the truth. That's all I wanted. And, you know, I could have, I could have had kids Mm -hmm. and I just was like, I think I'm cool. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I have a nice life. I think I'm okay. And I have lots of... Here's the thing, though, about not having kids. You end up as a godmother to so many. Mm-hmm. And you also, um, you the one thing that I have always struggled with is that you are the person who has no logical excuse for not wanting to do things for other people. It's like, oh, what do you mean you can't work late? You don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, no, but I have a body and it's tired and I'm going home. <laughs> but I do think that, I mean, to this day, you know, I'm so glad to be 45 because when people ask the question, I'm just like, I'm 45. Like, stop asking me the question. The jaws of life are not being invoked here. I mean, okay? there's mom, there are moms in my mom group that are like, first time mom at 50. I have some questions. Which is good for them, but they haven't suffered with IBS their whole life. It's like, I am not using... <laughs> hormones to jack up my already jacked up system. But people, people look, it's like this time of year, which is why I'm so glad to actually be included in this panel because normally people like me around this time of year, they're like, are your cats getting you something? (laughs) Are you sad? Do you feel lonely? I don't feel lonely. I feel fine. I feel fine. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. But it is a, even still people are like, oh, could you not have kids? You know, and it's like, there's no, there's no idea that you know, some people don't have cars. I mean, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's also sometimes like you just end up ask, without things. Nobody would ask a man that. Nobody would ask a man that. No, it is because one of those- guess what? A man can have a kid at 70. Yeah, right. well. And it's like not a problem. We're discovering also, We're discovering that that is actually dangerous now. Well, <laughs> right. You know, there's risks that come with that kind of thing. But like, I just think in general, there are some very, I, you know, I'm not a mother and these questions irritate the fuck out of me. Who's babysitting your kids? Oh. Moms get asked that. Dads don't get asked that. Dads being referred to watching their own, like dads watching their own children being told they're babysitting. No. Yeah, yeah. No, they're the dad. No. (laughs) A man who's 45 who doesn't have children being asked, oh, did you just decide not to have kids? No. Leave, leave people alone. Leave, leave everybody alone. And Alyssa, we have to wrap up so we can get to I Feel Petty, but I wanted to come back to kind of something that you were saying, and I think it ties into Kara's experience and Lindy's experience also, is that the idea that women need to have kids or that like motherhood is somehow this fulfillment of this feminine idea, ideal is based on logic from a world where motherhood was the only way for women to be of influence. Like right. women could only be of influence if they gave birth to children and within the sphere of the home taught the children things. But you can be massively influential as a woman. Like Lindy, as a writer, I meet people all the time who ask what it was like to work with you. And I'm like, cool. It was cool when <laughs> when Lindy wrote that thing about love actually sucking and like started the discourse about that movie being a piece of shit. Like, thank God for me. Right. <laughs> I mean, thank God for you. But you know, you meet people all the time if, as a writer, as somebody that's creating stuff probably who are like, thank you for writing that. You know, you did a book tour of people who filled up bookstores to see you talk about your book because it influenced them. Like you have your stepdaughters who I'm sure are massively influenced by you. And like Alyssa, you working and having all those people learning how to be adults from you. 
It's like, true. What's, and you know what? Let me just tell you what the motherless, I mean, what the childless women are doing, okay? While you guys are raising tomorrow's leaders and people who are going to do good things for the planet, we're, we're building the lanai's, which you will want to retire on. <laughs> it will be a cocktail waiting for you, okay? We all have our role to play in society. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you, however you're celebrating. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I feel petty. And welcome back. We are almost at the end of the show, but not quite. We're at the part of the show where we take really adamant stances about things that don't really matter. It's I feel petty. So here's the thing I am feeling petty about this week. So, you know, I've during the pandemic, I've been thinking a lot about spending time outside and how, how nice it is to just be able to go walk around in some grass, maybe stand under a tree. And I have concurrently noticed that a lot of houses are built on these big lots to take up the entire fucking lot. I think houses and apartment buildings should not take up entire lots. I think you need to leave some space for a yard. People need space to go outdoors and just walk around. People need space to go outdoors and like put a chair down and sit there with a book. People need space to be outdoors. It's, it is inhumane to build all these giant McMansions that have like one foot of space on the edge of their lot. I just think it, it's senseless. We need to stop doing that. That's that's what I feel petty about. Erin, <laughs> my ma, my ma calls that the two acre house on the one acre lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is it. That is exactly what it is, and it sucks. And it doesn't look good either. I mean, I, look, I understand in like dense cities, like a downtown or like a New York or you know San Francisco. There are parts of the city where it makes sense that you would build it out because you actually need that space because a lot of people are trying to live in a small amount of space. When you've got a family of four, you don't need... What are you doing? Building a house to the very edge of the yard. Craziness. Okay. That's such... It's so appropriate because that is a thing that my mom obsessively comments on and has been for my whole life. If we're like on a walk, it's every time it's like... Like... Look look how close. Wow. Yeah, that used to be my dad's pet peeve. (laughs) Right up to the property line. (laughs) I I bet you can see them shower. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like, do you really want to look? I've lived in cities my entire adult life, and there is an appeal to rural areas and suburban areas when you're ready to have like more space. And it's like, I'm kind of ready to, to not be able to possibly hear my neighbors having sex. <laughs> you're you really know? growing up, Aaron. I am. I'm, <laughs> it's hashtag growth. Um, Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? Um, speaking of lots of land, um, we live kind of in the middle of nowhere and we have a set of neighbors who go around telling everyone that like, we don't want to hang out with them and that, uh, I drive by and I wave, but I don't stop and talk. And like, you guys, why do I have, I don't want to be friends with everybody. Like (laughs) COVID, guess what COVID taught me? I could get rid of 60% of the people who I'd been associating with and live just fine. (laughs) And so anyway, but they've gone around and every now and again, I'll see the people who I like, who are my friends. 
they'll be like, you know, so-and-so was saying the other day that you just like drove by and you waved, but you didn't stop. And I'm like, this is upstate gossip, you guys. And it, for a very long time, I felt guilty about it. I was like, God, should I like stop? But now it's awkward because they've said it to people. Guess what? I'm only ever going to wave for the rest of my life. I've said it here. That's it. I'm just waving at you. My blue Subaru. Sometimes I roll the window down and I wave outside the window. Sometimes I give the little flash over the steering wheel like I'm a cool guy in 1985 in high school. But mostly, mostly I just, hey, hi. Very enthusiastic inside waves. I think but anyway, a, a wave is more wave than enough. Is great. Yeah, a wave is nice. It's That's fine. A- you guys, sometimes I'll just wave to anybody, though. So maybe they feel like I'm not discriminating because they're just people who go down the road. And I'm like, hi, because you <laughs> never know when you're going to run into them up here. I could see them at the barbecue place. It's like, who knows? <laughs> I think that's perfectly fine. You don't have to be friends with everybody. You don't have to be friends no, with anybody. No, especially not anymore. It was different two years ago. Now it's totally, it's a whole new world. <laughs> uh, I agree with that one. Kara, what are you feeling petty about this week? I mean, this is like really, this is really silly and petty. So this is like, I feel like the only place I could really bring this up. But I'm like really, really annoyed about Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live in a way oh. that should not be bothering me this much. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. But I do watch, I do watch SNL every week. Like I am, I'm just the person that does that. Even when there's not one single sketch that makes me laugh, I'm like, I'll be back next week. And I just like, (laughs) I don't even know if I'm going to watch this week. I just find it so annoying that they would think that this is an okay guest to have. It's like they learn nothing from Trump. This is like a COVID (laughs) denier millionaire who by all accounts has not a funny bone in his body. Did we, I, I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. Was he funny on it? Like, why is this man getting this? opportunity it's annoying to me and yeah it it makes absolutely no difference to my life and that's why it is the ultimate petty thing to talk about (laughs) (laughs) i mean he's basically a super villain (laughs) yeah like ethics aside is there a bigger sinkhole of charisma like he's the (laughs) most like i he's the least appealing person just in a, in a vacuum, like if I didn't know anything about him, uh, he's the least charming person I've ever perceived. Yeah. The um, cast is already roasting him. If you look at the tweets announcing him doing it, there is no positive ones. Like even the like Elon Musk bros like have not come to his defense on this. Like everybody <laughs> is like, why? <laughs> like, so I don't, I just really don't get it. Am I going to watch I haven't decided. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the people that are the excited, if there's a Venn diagram between people excited about Elon Musk hosting SNL and people who think women aren't funny, I think it would be a circle. Oh, it's a full, it's a thick circle. <laughs> it, there's no daylight in between that, those two layered circles. It's not even a Venn diagram. Um, Lindy, why don't you bring us home? What are you feeling petty about this week? So my older daughter went on her first road trip a couple weeks ago. It was so cute. She and her best friend drove to California from Seattle. Oh. And I know. It was so cute. And the car broke down an hour outside of San Luis Obispo, just mm. on the side of the highway. It was nighttime. Oh, no. It's, there's not. It's oh. not a town. She didn't have cell service. Her friend had a little bit of cell service. Um, The car's toast, by the way. Oh, they no. They had to fly back. Oh, God. Um, but... So she's on the side of the road. She's texting me from her friend's phone. And I was like, okay, well, here's what you do. Here's the insurance company. Anyway, so she calls the insurance company and then they set up the tow truck and whatever. 
And then they're like, by the way, because of COVID, you're not allowed to ride in the tow truck. And they will leave you on the side of the highway. What? So I was like, okay. So I was like, well, okay, Penelope, can you, you know, look and see if there's like a town close enough that you could get an Uber or something. And she was like, there's nothing. There's no town with a taxi. Like we're literally just in the middle of nowhere in California. And, I, and then I, so I was like, okay, I guess you have to call the cops. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to do. I, I don't have oh any friends God. in that area. Oh, my God. So the highway patrol has, like, a non-emergency number that is only active during peak hours. So that oh my God. was nothing. So I was eventually like, um, okay. And the punchline to the story is that then later she was like, oh, yeah, one of my best friends goes to Cal Poly. I was like, why are you <laughs> after this whole thing? But whatever. So children don't know how to solve problems. Um, but, okay, so I was like, yeah, you got. I guess you got to just call 911. So she calls 911 and talks to the dispatcher who's like, yeah, we'll send a highway patrol person out. And then the dispatcher said, like, okay, well, we'll I'll, I'll send an officer out, but I can't guarantee that he'll give you a ride. We're not a taxi service. <gasps> what are you? What? Uh, she can't get a taxi service. They're like, we know you're not a taxi service, but what is your purpose? What is your purpose? You just leave children on the side of the road? You just want to get to leave? Aren't you? Is oh your job God. to protect the people on the highway that are like, I don't, you patrol the highway. Is your, your job is only to kill people? Like, what is your job? <laughs> What is your job? I like literally I'm still so mad about it. And what ended up happening, of course, is that the creepy tow truck driver was like, oh, yeah, you can ride with me. You don't even have to wear a mask. And then like sexually oh, harass them shit. for an hour. Oh, God. But it's like I he told my daughter that she should that she should play D&D and she'd make a great bard because they're very sexual. Oh, oh shit. No. Oh, no. Um. And he told them that his favorite class in high school was history, especially Civil War history when the country had good morals oh, and they're both black by the way cool. these girls anyway i was like please um call 911 again <laughs> maybe um anyway oh but it's God. just like i'm still so mad about we're not a taxi service because it it just felt like such a revealing moment of how law enforcement thinks oops of itself i shook i shook this earbud right out of my ear with my rage <laughs> like well cuz what else were they doing yeah like what was there some was there some massive emergency right. outside of San Luis Obispo that they couldn't do that? Like that's fucking bullshit. I I cannot I can't even conceive of another purpose for them re- besides rescuing stranded motorists. Uh-huh. Unless there's like yeah I guess a OJ chase something. Or I don't know. Yeah, you sound like a but character in like an SVU. Like and then we cut to the bodies and it's like, oh, if you had just gone and sent someone to pick them up, this could have been avoided. Like you're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and we know Olivia would have picked them up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she would. Olivia would have picked You know what we need, Lindy, as you were saying that, I was like, you know what? Teachers get subjected to like ratings, like based on performance, based on blah blah. And it's like you know, a low performing teacher in New York City, at least, can be like rubber roomed so they don't get to teach kids anymore. We need to do that with like police departments so that like people can rate police departments and low performing police departments get money taken away from them. And like they don't yeah. get they don't get fancy 
like weapons grade tanks to drive around in. Like their budget gets just a Chevrolet and with a light on top and that is it. And your only job is to keep people safe. <laughs> like that is like, yeah. cause what's your recourse? Like you can't, you could can just talk about it on a podcast and be like, fuck these guys. But like, what else can you do? Right. What, and you know what made me so mad is that taxi service for stranded girl is the best thing you could be. Yeah. Like, you know, what yes. is the higher purpose for you right. besides uh, killing? Like, literally, like what? Shooting someone? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like when yeah, you call the anyway. fire department and you're like, my cat stuck up a tree. They're like, well, we're not exactly a, a, a cat sitting service. You know what I mean? Like, we'll see if we can get there. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That's the other part. It's like, I, we pay you. <laughs> you, do, you go get my child. <laughs> I feel uh, like I like the rating. Like we, if we had cop yell yeah and it was like and it was like the or that isn't there's a thing where you can rate your professor but yes. it's all like unfuckable zero stars <laughs> i'd like to write that you yelp does have profile. reviews of prisons i have read pris, um yelp reviews of prisons so i wonder if there are like yelp reviews of police departments that like are just i bet you there's some funny Probably. ones out there that would be, mm-hmm. you know, a few, uh, an upside of our future tech dystopia where everything is determined by social media clout is we There's can- a Yelp. There's a Yelp. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Well, we're going to go on there and give them bad ratings today as soon as we get done with this. Um, we have run out of, we've run out of time. Uh, Alyssa's over here laughing and can't breathe. Uh, the NYPD's not doing well on Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> How about the uh, San Luis Obispo PD? Slow PD. I'm looking right now. <laughs> One star. One star. I'd give them zero stars if I could. Okay. <laughs> San Luis Obispo is two and a half out of five. <laughs> oh, well, we got to bring, we got to bring that rating down. Kara yeah, and Lindy. Please. Thank you so much for coming by today. This was a great conversation and happy Mother's Day to both of you. Thank Alyssa, you. thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and thank you to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.